It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios, welcome, Sandy. Thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. You and you still like me, or you, or you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You all right? <laughs> I'm a musician. I can't help it. Uh, longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth in America wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Sandy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. There is outrage this morning in New York City over this latest incident that took place on Monday. As you mentioned, a New York City police detective was investigating a burglary in the outer borough of Queens when he was hit in the head with a large plastic stick. It was all caught on video. The filling out routine paperwork when a man later identified as 25-year-old Ackley Morgan hit the detective in the head with one of two sticks he is seen carrying. The incident happened on a busy street shortly before noon. Morgan briskly walks away and then he starts to run before he's taken into custody by police. The detective can be seen kneeling on the ground and bleeding near his left ear from a minor injury. Morgan has been charged with assault, criminal possession of a weapon, and resisting arrest. The Detectives Endowment Association released a statement that says in part, quote, even as our detectives investigate crime, they are attacked by emboldened criminals who have quickly realized there are no there is no consequence for the lawbreakers in our city. The incident underscores a growing fear of lawlessness in New York. According to the NYPD, in just the last week, there are 46 shootings. That's a 300 percent increase compared to a year ago. Homicides year to date are also up by 6 percent. Mayor Bill de Blasio blames the spike in violence on the pandemic. But the head of a police union, the Sergeant's Benevolent Association, says the mayor's policies are to blame. And tragically, an NYPD officer lost his life overnight when he was hit by a drunk driver with a suspended license. The officer was investigating an accident on the highway when he was hit. Anastasio Sakos was a 14-year veteran, and he leaves behind two young children. There is, as we said at the outset, Bill, a growing discontent uh, among police across the country. Here in New York City now, uh, retirements are up 75 percent. Chicago, Minneapolis, and other cities are also seeing a similar trend. All right, David Lee Miller from Fox, and certainly we're seeing a trend. Let me talk just for a second about that killing of another policeman in New York that he mentioned, an Anastasio Sacos, 14-year-old veteran with two small children. Who killed him? A girl named Jessica Bouvet, 32 years old. Uh, she was doing a podcast two hours earlier, and in that podcast, uh, the Daily Mail reported that um, she was streaming herself uh, on Facebook Live, uh, and she kept saying, blank the police. And to start the video, she was uh, smoking and taking shots of vodka while playing um, some song, I don't know, some probably rapper song called Blank the Police. During her rant, she spoke about the trial of former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin, in which he was convicted in the death of George Floyd. And she said, this week we're going to talk about the ignorance that was the Derek Chauvin trial, or the ignorance that is essentially just is this blank justice System And then she go, She went on. They quote more things that she said. She left that studio, and she was drunk, and uh, we don't exactly know if she swerved to hit the officer. One might think that would be possible, but he is now dead. And there's a video of her being uh, in handcuffs. She's all dressed up. She's a very pretty girl. 
uh, very, very well put together. Uh, they're taking her into the police van, and reporters are outside yelling at her, what did you do? Why did you do this? And she cries, and she said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Uh, and they asked what she would say to the family, and she'd say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But the point to this, I guess one point, one of the major points, is this is a girl who's been poisoned by this so-called narrative. We're into narratives now, not reality. We're into, like, storytelling. And so she's been repeating it. Uh, she believes it. And uh, whether she did it on purpose, we'll probably never know. Given that it's New York City, I don't know. But um, she is sorry. Such regret. It really has consequences. When you kill someone, it's really traumatic if you have any kind of a soul. She evidently has a soul. And uh, she's regretting it. But it's too late. He's dead. This father of two small children is dead, this policeman. And as a result of that, as uh, David Lee Miller alluded to, police around the country, in these certainly in the major cities, are dropping like flies. Let me play just a clip of Chief James I'm not talking about dead. I'm talking about retiring or leaving or not signing up. James uh, Craig, who was the chief of police for Detroit, had this to say last night. Clip one. I've said it so many times. Her comments were reckless, and they really don't represent the people who live in our city. You know, when you talk about vulnerable communities, they want effective and constitutional policing. So who is she speaking for? You know, they're reckless and she's doing it as a self-serving approach and it doesn't work. You know, I got to tell you, this whole qualified immunity that's being peddled out right now, I don't think many people understand how dangerous that is. That is not just dismantling, that's eliminating police altogether. My colleagues have said if they push that bill of qualified immunity, that's going to be a problem. We will not know policing like it is. So... Uh, it's tragic. What's going on today, Harris, is tragic. Our profession is in a crisis. Yeah, no question about that. Sergeant Clyde Boatwright was also on of Baltimore and echoed the same thing, talking about how hard it is to find applicants. That's in Baltimore. In Louisville, nearly 190 police left the Louisville Metro Police Department in 2020. 43 have stepped away from the Kentucky City's agency so far in 2021, either choosing to retire or resign altogether. And what does that mean for people? What does that mean for communities? Especially, we've talked about this before this week, uh, especially communities where there's already a high crime rate. You know, there's such a high crime, black-on-black crime in these cities. It's not just that crime, but I mentioned that. I I saw all kinds of things online last night about uh, fights breaking out. One broke out in the Miami airport, just random, just brawls breaking out. Uh, and then also another one in a, a diner uh, in Mississippi last, I think, it was, well, it had to be in the last 24 hours of 48. And uh, people are just, you know, tearing up things and throwing things and uh, ch- mothers are trying to hide their children. Uh, and there's no, no one to, who's going to help? Who's going to stop that? Who's going to stop this? This is the Wild West. Maybe that'll be the theme of our show today as we talk about other things. Uh, but I, I, so this is what's happening. And uh, I don't know what to say about it. I don't know what to say about it except be prepared to defend yourself and um, and stop these radical leftists. In your city, you still have control of who you vote for. In your state, you still have that control. You need to organize where you live and uh, start fighting back. And uh, that's the only way I know that we're going to stop this. Uh, meanwhile, speaking of lawlessness, uh, John Kerry's been in the news, and I, ha- I didn't have a chance to talk about it yet this week, but I want to. 
Uh, and it occurred to me as I started to talk about John Kerry, who's the special envoy for climate, uh, you may wonder why I have such disdain for him. You might have wondered, because you probably picked up on that, that I can't stand him. I think he's a despicable human being. Now, why would I think that? Because it must be something pretty serious, right? Well, it looked like this. Uh, John Kerry was a Vietnam veteran. Uh, he, uh, look, I, I did a lot of interviews about this when this was in the news uh, a couple of decades ago. Uh, John Kerry, uh, basically, um, according to Vietnam veterans who used to interact with me on the show a lot, had him, he shot, he was shot in the rear end and got a purple heart. So he's a decorated um, Vietnam veteran. And those guys that were telling me these things suspected that he did something to get himself out early. Well, he got out. He didn't serve very long, uh, but it was long enough for him to present himself as a combat veteran of Vietnam. And so as luck would have it or something, you know, the the, the um, alignment of the stars, John Kerry, as a young guy in 1971, ends up getting invited to speak to Congress. So John Kerry speaks to Congress. We tried to find the clip this morning, and, you know, probably it's been buried because it's really dreadful. But he lays out his fellow American Vietnamese soldiers. He says that they are killing civilians. He says they're killing in the manner of Pol Pot. Pol Pot was the despotic dictator of Cambodia that slaughtered the people in the killing fields and the Khmer Rouge who slaughtered their own people. He's comparing American soldiers to Pol Pot. That's just one of the things he said. That's my era. Those were my guys, and that is infuriating. It's also, it was not true. It was a lie, and that's how John Kerry made his bones, and that's how he ended up, you know, uh, wooing Teresa Hines because he was some war, you know, protester, uh, who was a, a liar. Uh, but but even then, the press was bad, and so we never really knew that. So John Kerry grew up to be, what, Secretary of State. But now, as Secretary of State, what did John Kerry do? Well, we know now that he actually was informing Foreign Minister Mohammad Javad Zarif, and we know from a leaked audio tape, he was telling Zarif at least 200 operations that Israel had carried out in Syria against Iranian targets. He also put American soldiers at risk. Uh, Zarif said uh, he was astonished at, that J- Kerry was telling him these things. They have a family connection. Do uh, you remember that John Kerry was the one who was just attached beyond measure uh, to the Iran deal, the one that gave Iran so much cash uh, on a, some kind of a pallet uh, in the dead of night. Remember that Iran deal and allowed Iran during the Obama uh, administration to develop uh, the beginnings of nuclear weapons? Do you remember that? Well, I, so John Kerry loves Iran, and uh, that's what he did as Secretary of State. He put American soldiers at risk. There's more coming out each day. Mike Pompeo was on last night with um, with Sean Hannity, and I want you to hear what former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo had to say about it. Clip six. It looks like from this reporting that it's confirmed what we can already believe, which was that while I was briefing President Trump, Kerry was briefing Zarif on intelligence that related to Israeli operations. I hope that's not true. John Kerry needs to come forward. Secretary Kerry needs to speak to the American people and explain to them why he was meeting with Zarif. We know he did that. He's admitted as much. What he was talking about, we believe that he was absolutely telling the Iranians, hang on, this pressure campaign the power that's being exerted by America against you. It'll be over. We'll win this election. It'll just be four years. You can hang in there. 
uh, don't don't for a minute negotiate with the Trump team. And so Secretary Kerry's got an awful lot of explaining to do. There's no reason to think that these remarks that Zarif made, according to The New York Times, they were made in private. He didn't think they were going to come out. There's no reason to think that he wasn't telling you that he was truly surprised that he did not know about these Israeli operations until Secretary Kerry told him about them. Sean, I'll tell you what President Trump and our team did. We had the same issue. They were driving IRGC, the expeditionary forces of the Iranians. They were driving IRGC Coast Guard cutters close to our ships. President Trump made clear to our naval officers and our sailors, you have every right to respond. You have every right to blow them out of the water. And when we did that and we communicated that to the Iranians, that activity ceased. We need to make sure that our sailors have the ability to defend themselves. You know, Sean, uh, people may have forgotten, but when Secretary Kerry was in office last time, when he was a Secretary of State, the Iranians not only put cutters around our ships, but they uh, uh, seized our sailors. You remember those pictures, Sean? They were sitting on the pier. They were kneeling down. They were being held by the Iranians, and only an apology from Secretary Kerry was able to get them back. That wouldn't have happened on our watch. It didn't happen on our watch. Yeah, no kidding. So John Kerry, as Secretary of State under Barack Obama, did such tremendous damage to this country, all the while helping Iran. There are pictures. I remember these pictures of him dining with his wife, fine dining with uh, the Iranian minister uh, at at weddings with the Iranian minister. He's very close to them, you see. Uh, John Kerry, uh, I don't know where his loyalties are. I can't, I'm not ready to, you know, say, but they are not with America. They are certainly not with America. While he was Secretary of State, then after uh, he left the White House and Donald Trump won, you will remember, because Pompeo just referred to this, that he was busy talking to the Iranians. Uh, giving them information and uh, telling them, as Mike Pompeo just said, to hang on, hang on. We're gonna, when we take the White House back, you know, you you won't have to worry about this, that, or the other. Because uh, under uh, Trump's administration, we crippled the Iranians. Uh, they were begging because uh, their economy was the. Pe- this is sad for the people, but for the regime, uh, they, there were a lot of uh, targeted killings of some of the the leaders. Uh, we were putting them in a corner in a big way. And John Kerry wasn't happy about that. And doesn't it remind you a little bit of what they accused uh, Lieutenant General Flanna uh, of, uh, you know, making deals or talking, you know, trying to talk foreign policy when he's not in office? Except there was a big difference. Uh, General Flynn was the incoming uh, secretary, uh, the, the head of national defense for the president. That's the wrong title, but uh, he had a right to do that. John Kerry didn't. He was a civilian. Whoa, what about the Logan Act? In his image, delighting in God's plan for gender and sexuality is changing hearts and lives. It speaks directly to the power and the grace of God. It gives me hope for people that I know that are struggling. The whole idea of In His Image has moved me. We actually had one gentleman contact us, and he said that this film changed his mind about this issue. We had a pastor reach out to us, and he said that he'd been struggling with hatred in his heart towards people in the LGBTQ community, and this film helped him to realize he needed to have compassion and show people the love of Christ. We also had this same-sex-attracted couple contact us, and they said after seeing the film, they wanted to live obedient lives for Christ no matter what, and they said, please. Please pray for us. We know this is going to be hard. We've even had people come to faith in Jesus through In His Image. To find out more, visit inhisimage.movie. This is Pause to Pray, a chance to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. 
Today we pray for David Recordin, Director of Technology in the Office of Management and Administration. His office works to encourage collaboration to help secure American cyber interests. Proverbs 18.15 reminds us of the importance of knowledge. An intelligent heart acquires knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask you to guide David Recorded in his work as Director of Technology. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team, a nonprofit, nonpartisan ministry dedicated to encouraging prayer for our nation's leaders. To learn more, go to pausetopray.org. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starnes with news and commentary next. Are you looking for a university that provides a quality Christian education with excellent academic and athletic programs? Well, I want to invite you to visit Liberty University, where they offer multiple visiting opportunities to fit your schedule. Plan a visit to their Central Virginia campus and stay for an afternoon, a day, or an entire weekend. You can also take a virtual tour from the comfort of your own home. Plan your visit today by texting Go Visit to the number 49596. Again, that's Go Visit to the number 49596. We are all children of God. That means we are family, no matter our race or ethnicity. Well, you might be surprised to learn those words were uttered by a Democrat, Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard from Hawaii. She drew the ire of the left by calling for an end to identity politics, attacking people because of the color of their skin, making money by starting race wars. Al Sharpton flies around in a private jet. Black Lives Matter, they own a million-dollar mansion. But Tulsi Gabbard is absolutely right. We must call out those in the media and in politics who are pushing a dangerous narrative about race and hate and division. Franklin Graham praised Congresswoman Gabbard, says he's grateful she's willing to take a stand for what is right. And we need more people to do the same, black and white, Republican and Democrat. That's the aloha spirit. I'm Todd Stearns. Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Facebook or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. The White House says that Vice President Harris is not tasked with securing the border. Instead, her job is to look into what's having so many people seek asylum in the United States to begin with. Yesterday, the vice president had a chance to meet with Guatemala's leader for a virtual meeting. The two did discuss migration, and she does plan to go down to Central America this summer, but still no plans yet to visit any U.S. border facilities. Last night, the Biden administration also committing some $310 million in humanitarian relief, hoping to keep people from making this trip north. All right, so that was Mark Meredith on Fox kind of updating us on the what is, uh, I talked earlier about the Wild West. That's the real Wild West. At this point, uh, the U.S. Customs and Border Protection is projecting another 172,000 border encounters in April. That's 255% higher than the 2017 to 2020 average. And if those projections hold, that would be over 520,000 apprehensions so far this year. And of those, 42,000 migrants have already been uh, allowed into the interior of the country. And on and on and on it goes. Well, probably there is one person in the country, maybe a few, uh, who served under President Trump 
uh, who are watching these headlines and their work unravel uh, and feeling it so personally and painfully, maybe none, no, none more than Ken Cuccinelli. Uh, Ken is the former acting deputy secretary uh, at the De- Department of Homeland Security. And while he was there, uh, man, they... They, uh, I can't think of the nice words to say. Let's just say they got things done. Uh, he's the, also the former Attorney General of Virginia, and uh, he he's now with Heritage as a fellow, and he joins us this morning. Ken, thanks for joining me. Danny, always good to be with you. Hey, are you in Arizona right now? Did I understand that? No, I was there last week. Uh, okay. Well, I wanted to. Okay, that that recount in Maricopa is fascinating, isn't it? It is fascinating, and from a constitutional perspective, um, you know, state legislatures have subpoena power, and they can figure out what went on in their own states, and they're the appropriate entity to do that. They don't have the restrictions of the rules of evidence you have in a courtroom, which I'm not condemning the rules of evidence. It's just less free-flowing. If you want to know the whole picture, that's not what court rules are about. Court rules are about being able to prove or disprove a particular allegation. So... If you go in an audit, by definition, you don't have an allegation. You go in to see what happened. And uh, and that's the right attitude to go in with. People shouldn't assume outcomes. Um, and uh, it'll be very educational. I can't, I can't believe <laughs> judges actually are standing in the way of this sort of thing. So, uh, But uh, hopefully they'll work their way through that and get to the audit. And, you know, I, I believe the people of Arizona will, will learn some things about their own system. Yep. I think you're right, and I, actually, we want to do a longer form in, interview on that. But let me just say that Maricopa is uh, doing some incredible things. They're actually trying to uh, examine the the ballots from the 2020 election and figure out if there was some sort of fraud or mishandling. So that's what they're doing. And uh, as Ken said, the judges are actually in, in Arizona so far are allowing this. There's there have been obstacles, but it is happening. All right, Ken, let's go back to the southern border. And I I just on a personal level want to ask you. Well, I know the answer, but it must be extremely difficult for you to watch the dismantling of all the hard work that you guys did on the border. Yeah, it certainly is. Uh, Look, the solutions at the border are not rocket science, but they are hard work. And a lot of work went into building up the many, many different programs and arrangements and logistics necessary to accomplish what was accomplished under the Trump administration, and that was to bring down from when we faced a crisis there in 2019, to bring those numbers down massively, over 75%. And um, if you think back to the first year of the Trump administration, the Trump effect, those are some of the most the lowest illegal crossing numbers we've seen in, in decades. And then you come to the Biden effect, with President Biden sworn in, and they're the highest numbers we've ever seen, certainly for a new president. And he's all but invited them in. Um, So it's understandable. I mean, literally, you have people showing up at the border illegally wearing Joe Biden for president T-shirts. I mean, we've never seen that before. And, And demanding that he keep his promises to them, to illegal immigrants. So, Yes, I think also just that whole notion, there's so much to say about this, Ken, but the whole notion of turning the border and the territories just north and just south of the border into gang, uh, not gang, a cartel-controlled territories with the crime that comes along with it. I mean, 
real human cost that the rest of the country is going to be feeling shortly as soon as criminals make their way to the interior. Well, it isn't just that, though you are correct. First of all, we're funding the most evil, vicious people in the entire Western Hemisphere, the Mexican drug cartels. I mean, this is a bonanza for them. And Joe Biden is delivering it to them. Um, and uh, But beyond that, when you, when you bring 170,000 illegal immigrants into the country, um, low skill, less than high school education, they are here overwhelmingly to work, and they are going to compete with our poor people at the lowest end of the economic scale, with our low-skill workers, with our poor folks. And, um, and nobody's talking about that, that this is an attack on our poor people. When, uh, in the end of 2019, one of the accomplishments of the Trump administration was to achieve the lowest poverty rate in recorded history, ever. And that wasn't just from cutting taxes and deregulation, though those were both very good for the economy overall. What was really necessary to benefit poor people was to close off the illegal dumping of labor into the labor pool so that they were in demand as workers, that their wages could rise as workers, and they did. They did. Some of the most, uh, some of the best economic gains in 2018 and 2019 were of the made by the poorest Americans, which is exactly who we should want getting the biggest gains. But to do that, you have to enforce the law at the border. The other part of this, I mean, there are other parts, is that in addition to allowing all these people to flood across the border, they have increased the number of people that come can come in legally, uh, uh, immigrants that can come in legally. Uh, they've increased, the, you know, we were uh, trying to bring down the number of visas that were offered to people to come over here to work so that Americans could be more fully employed. So that stopped. And the other thing, uh, I know there are different forms of this, but this is the latest one that I just saw yesterday. The Department of Homeland Security has announced the rescission of civil civil penalties for failure to depart. Uh, in other words, yeah. well, you should say you should explain what that is because I want to get I want to make the point I want to make a point. So could you tell them what that is, and then I'll make that point. Yeah. So they stopped imposing financial penalties on illegal immigrants who have orders of removal from a judge. They've gone through this massive process, um, which is in many ways, thicker and more uh, detailed than criminals face, uh, meaning they have more due process as an illegal alien than you get as a criminal and um, in this country. And yet, they many don't leave. We have over a million people with these removal orders who haven't left. And, um, and these fines were intended to be, you know, one more way of imposing a consequence. Imposing a consequence is very important if you're going to actually get people to change their behavior. But they don't want these folks to leave. They don't care about our poor people. They're, they're massive virtue signaling to their radical left-wing base. This is about transforming America through illegal immigration. It's also connected to their voting bill and the two amnesty bills they've put through the House. Um, the voting bill... H.R. 1, Sandy, would sweep all these folks onto the voter rolls automatically uh, via the 50 states, NDC, which are 
ordered under their HR1 bill to register every adult individual, it doesn't say citizen, it says individual in their state databases. Well, that'll sweep in literally millions of illegal immigrants uh, to the voter rolls, and that's their intention. These things are, are connected. You and I look at the border and we see a mess, we see a crisis. They see a voter registration line. You also say that, uh, this is, by the way, you wrote an article which we are going to put on our Facebook page, Border Surge is a Prelude to Voter Registration Boost for the Left. We'll put that on our Facebook page so people can read it. But you also say they factored in also a felony penalty uh, for uh, for people that fail to register these people. Explain that, please. Sure. So it isn't enough to automatically put them on the rolls. and they got rid of any penalty for people automatically registered uh, if they vote. You heard that right. There's no penalty for those folks. So technically they say, well, we didn't make it legal for non-citizens to vote. True, but you took away the penalty if they do. So what penalty did they impose? They created a new federal felony for state and local government officials who might in any way be deemed to get in the way of people registering to vote or voting. And, of course, that sounds great if it's applied to U.S. citizens, but when you see it put in a bill like this, when you see so many more Soros prosecutors coming online, and you see the politicization of our criminal justice system, you see that they're weaponizing election law here to ensure that the illegal aliens vote by intimidating state and local officials from taking any steps like asking someone who's never presented themselves to your agency before and doesn't speak English, and you say, well, you know, maybe that person's not a citizen. And so you ask the question so that a non-citizen doesn't get registered to vote. Um, We might say by accident, well, I don't think it's by accident. When you put all of those different things together, Sandy, there's just too many dots to say this is a coincidence or that they somehow don't intend for these folks to get registered to vote. Now, there was a hearing on some of these bills. This was just, this was last week, even, let's see, April 20th, so it's been eight days ago. A hearing chaired by my favorite senator from my home state, uh, Dick Durbin. Uh, I worked to get him uh, unelected, but it didn't work so Sandy? well. Actually, yes? Yeah, yes, sorry, sir. I, I missed part of part of what you had to say there. You're talking about the hearings on, in Congress, sounded like. <laughs> yes, I was, yes, and I was talking about them being chaired by Dick Durbin, who was from my home state, who I tried to get out of the office, but it didn't work very well. <laughs> anyway, there was a... There was a hearing last week, and they called it the Jim Crow, Jim Crow 2021, the latest assault on the right to vote. This is the way it's being, uh, 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 what should we, framed, shall we say. Uh, so uh, the bill is, uh, is it up this week? That part I'm not sure about. Is this the week of the push for this? So the, the strategy the Democrats have adopted, because the pieces of this bill are so wildly unpopular as a matter of substance. For instance, you haven't, you, we haven't even talked about the fact that they illegalized the use of voter ID in state which sounds crazy, because everybody, including Biden voters, support the use of voter ID, but this bill would illegalize that by state. And so because the pieces are so 
unpopular because they're such a bad idea. What the Democrats have done is they've started stacking up hearings like you just described to try to paint a picture of a mythical threat um, to access to voting. Now, let's be clear, it has never been easier to register to vote than it is today, and it has never been easier to vote than it is today in virtually every state. So in, in those terms, we're in a good place as a country. Our problem is security uh, and, and the ability to have accountability um, and transparency so that we can have confidence in our election. That isn't what Dick Durbin or the Democrats want. They want to break the system down so cheating is easy um, because they believe they're going to benefit from that. And uh, so these hearings, which they give these incredible propaganda-like names, Jim Crow 2.0, um, uh, are intended to build up the scare. You know, oh, this is so bad. These Republicans are terrible. They're this, they're that. I'm not quite sure, you know, how that suddenly happened. Where you've got Stacey Abrams, you know, sort of made her name in this subject area. When she was a state legislator, she tried to cut down the days of early voting because early voting has real security issues associated with it. Now she condemns Republicans like in Iowa, who went from 29 to 20 days of early voting, which, by the way, is more than New York has, more than New Jersey has, more than Delaware has, and I don't see them complaining about those blue states. So this is heavily partisan, um, and these hearings are designed to try to uh, give their media allies time to gin up hate and fear and then bring in a bill and say, oh, look, we have the solution to this problem. And it's H.R. 1, S. 1, which has got all these terrible provisions you and I have been talking about. And, and of course, they they always call it, it's always, it's for the people act. It's the, Ken, it's the for the people act. Well, right, but but Sandy, not even that. Just just the the name of the hearing, the Jim Crow 2.0. I mean, Jim Crow 1.0 was by Democrats. Yes, that's right. And Mike, Mike Lee really went after Dick Durbin on it. And wouldn't let him go. There was a spectacular exchange that Mike Lee had where he just gave a history lesson in five minutes to Durbin. And Durbin kept trying to recharacterize it all without success. Um, So uh, it was, uh, I don't know that the Democrats achieved what they wanted to in those hearings so far. Um, The Republican witnesses by the way, included one of the Republican witnesses was the Democrat Secretary of State of New Hampshire, Bill Gardner, who has been in that job since 1976 and um, really did a great job of explaining why the bill isn't needed and how destructive it is of the existing election system. So, uh, so far, uh, the Republicans have done very well in presenting the alternative perspective, and they're doing it with far less witnesses. So the majority gets three, the minority gets one type of arrangement is what you have going on here. Which committee is this? Do you know, Ken? Which committee is it? So uh, in the House, you have the Judiciary Subcommittee on Constitution and Civil Rights. That's the House. Uh, In the Senate, the Rules Committee will ultimately hear the voting bill, which is a little odd, but there's, I'm sure there's a political reason for that, um, with Senator Klobuchar chairing that committee. But Durbin chairs judiciary. That was a judiciary hearing in the Senate. Okay. 
where mm-hmm. they were putting on that propaganda show. Ken, I'm just uh, kind of I'm going back in time, and I'm remembering, uh, again, I guess uh, Dick Durbin got me on this track. Uh, when I was in Chicago, I remember so well, it was actually Ted Kennedy who started this whole notion of uh, bringing in massive amounts of people from third world countries as opposed to vetting, you know, uh, immigrants carefully to make sure they had jobs and work and relatives to take care of them. The care was just thrown out the window for political purpose. And I remember during the Clinton years, uh, they brought tens of thousands of people into Soldier Field, where the Bears play football, and swore them in as citizens right before the election. So it's not just like they might be thinking about doing this. Maybe this is what's in their mind. This is exactly what's in their mind. So um, just, a, just a little memory I thought I re- would uh, remind you. Yeah, no, you from- I mean, H.R. 1 is just a much more radical expansion of that. You know, the it, at least what you're describing, Sandy, was citizens. <laughs> well, right? that's true. That's true. That's so, true. They- you know, and they'd gone through whatever legal process did exist, and um, and I respect that. I will say, you know, there's this presumption like all Hispanics favor illegal immigration. That's just phony baloney. No, you talk to that's people ab- who play by the rules, and they get more upset than anybody. Yes. Why do these people get to jump the line? What you know? And there's a million other whys. And um, and it, it isn't for respect for the rule of law and, and what this country stands for. No. I, I want to talk to you uh, one, a couple of other things. How, how's your time this morning? Could we talk a little longer or do you uh, need to go? We're, we're about at the end, I'm afraid. All right. Okay. Happy to answer some quick ones. But. Okay. All right. Well, tonight the president is speaking, and he's uh, you know he's going to announce his American Families Plan. It's always so grand. The American Families Plan, another $1.8 trillion in spending. It'll be free. Uh, daycare, free childcare, free preschool, free junior college, and other things. Uh, and the reason I'm asking you this is because, as I understand it, this will probably include all these new illegal, illegal immigrants. Is is that your understanding? Um, it, it is my expectation, given that they've done that for everything else up to this point, including their so-called COVID relief, which was about 8% related to COVID. Yeah, so so that that's going to be happening tonight. And already, uh, I think uh, it's fair to say that the people, what, the half a million that have come across the border, I'm not sure I got that number right, but uh, they are already being signed up for social services, aren't they, Ken? It's just a given that they're getting uh, what American citizens get. Is that correct? There, well, are, no, I mean, there are no barriers, are there? In some states, it, it be, there are differences from state to state. So in New York, if an illegal gets to New York, they can get $15,000 of, of COVID relief, is my understanding. Well, that'll more than pay off the smuggler's fee of about $7,500. You can make money trafficking in, in yourself in illegal immigration. So, uh, you know, we, ha- we do have state responsibilities, and they do have a role in this. They distribute this money, and you get differences from state to state. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, Texas is looking at ways to use the money to build a wall while New York is paying off illegal immigrants. Yeah, that's why so many people are leaving New York. Okay, so the border surges prelude to voter registration boost for the left. That's Ken's article. We'll put it on our Facebook page. Ken, thanks for still remaining, you know, concerned. You could just give up and uh, go home, but you didn't do that, and I thank God for that. So thanks for joining us. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk.
This is Frank Gaffney, host of Secure Freedom Radio. It's your personal daily intelligence briefing about the challenges we face, how they're likely to affect you, and what we can do about them. You can find Secure Freedom Radio here every weeknight at 11 p.m. Eastern Time. Tune in to learn from our extraordinary experts what you need to know and will want to share. Join us for Secure Freedom Radio tonight at 11 Eastern, right here on AFR. American Family Radio newscasts are now available as a podcast. I'm Rusty Pugh. I'm Steve Jordahl. Didn't catch the full story? Listen to the podcast. I'm Chris Woodward. I'm Chad Groening. Didn't have the radio on at the top of the hour? Listen to the podcast. I'm Charlie Bunch. And I'm Fred Jackson. Get accurate news from a Christian perspective whenever you want it with the American Family News podcast. You can also sign up for our daily news brief. Visit onenewsnow.com. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. Seattle Pacific University's Board of Trustees, a Christian university, voted recently to retain the school's longstanding, biblically-based policy requiring students and faculty to adhere to the Bible's orthodox teaching on marriage and sexuality. Thereafter, the school's faculty cast a vote of no confidence in the Board of Trustees because of its continued submission to biblical authority. 90% of all faculty members voted, 72% of whom favored the vote of no confidence, while 22% opposed it. Imagine what the students are being taught when 72% of the school's faculty are upset the trustees want to keep the place Christian. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. Do you want to be healed? Brian Fisher here with the Life and Liberty Minute. At the pool of Bethesda, Jesus encountered a man who had been an invalid for 38 years. Jesus realized he had been there for a long time, reduced to begging because his legs didn't work. Jesus makes eye contact with him and asks him a question. Do you want to be healed? This sounds like a dumb question, but Jesus never asked a dumb question in his entire life. What he was asking him was this. If I heal you, you will no longer be able to beg and lay around by the side of this pool. You will need to get up and go to work every day and begin to work with your own hands to supply your own needs and share with others. You aren't going to be able to rely on welfare any longer. When Jesus saw he was willing not only to walk but to work, he said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. And that's exactly what he did. Catch Brian Fisher on Focal Point, weekday afternoons at 105 Central on American Family Radio. This is Frank Gaffney with the Secure Freedom Minute. President Biden will address a joint session of some of Congress tonight as a public service hears a translation into plain English of what he's likely to say. President will gloat about the booming U.S. economy. Translation, unchecked government spending is creating a sugar high that actually imperils the dollar as the world's reserve currency and therefore America's economic viability. The president will tout Senate Democrats' S-1 bill as vital to election integrity. Translation, this legislation would guarantee voting fraud and preclude future free and fair balloting. And President Biden will claim to have restored America's world leadership. Translation, international contempt for him and his team is evident in growing threats from China, Russia, and Iran. Glib presidential talk about unity and progress must not mislead us about the dangerous fundamental transformation of America now underway and the imperative need to resist it. This is Frank Gaffney. 
Mindy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. Community. Um, you know, you talk about earlier, you said you wanted to bring, or the president wanted to bring the country back uh, together. So I guess the question is, uh, he has not met with House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, according to Kevin McCarthy. Uh, what does that say about unity? And also there are some other legislative issues as it relates to H.R. 1 and a commission to study uh, packing the Supreme Court, as you would say. Uh, and there's a lot of other lists as well, budget reconciliation. So there's a lot of folks, you talk about tens of millions of people, they're concerned about that this doesn't seem like unity at all. Do you think tens of millions of people are concerned about him not meeting with Kevin McCarthy? No, I think tens of millions of people are concerned about H.R. 1 and budget reconciliation and going with a 50-vote uh, threshold. I think I'm that not was sure the polling bears that out, but I will say yeah. that the president's view is that bringing the country together is bringing the American people together. So when I say he's uh, he is focused on uh, re bringing you know bringing people together, bringing Democrats and Republicans together, he's not talking about solving bipartisanship in the this zip code here. Okay, so thank you, Jen Saki. Oh, so they are asking the question: What about why would the president meet with uh, Kevin McCarthy, the uh, majority leader in the House? Why won't why won't he meet with him? He's the Republican, just like. Let's say President Trump met with uh, Nancy Pelosi, as painful as it was and annoying, he still continued to talk to her to her and to Chuck Schumer. There used to be a time when leaders worked together. They did that even when I was in D.C. They still worked together. Uh, but, but that's not happening anymore. And so Joe is just not bothering. He's just not bothering. And so Jen is explaining, well, no, he wants to bring Americans together, not, not the representatives for Americans, not the representatives of the 80 million, probably, that voted for President Trump, not those people. Uh, he's trying to bring unity. It's, it's a nonsense. It's nonsense. And uh, I told you, uh, I'm going to play you a bunch of really interesting clips, okay? So they're going to bounce around a, a little bit. But Peter Ducey, um, you will recall, I told you yesterday, in a meeting of world leaders over climate change with the envoy John Kerry, uh, all the world leaders uh, were in these little boxes, little Zoom boxes, kind of like uh, what, what? What is that show that used to be on? I can't think. The couples that married and had all these kids. Well, anyway, whatever it was, that's what the world leaders looked like in these little boxes. So, but only one world leader sitting by himself in the room uh, where he's zooming had a mask on, and it was our president, Joe Biden. And so Peter Ducey asked uh, yesterday, well, what, why was that? Clip seven, let's listen. Why was President Biden the only world leader at the climate summit Zoom who was wearing a mask? Uh, because he is sending a message to the world that he is putting in place precautions uh, and continuing to do that as leader of the United States. And I don't know what setups they all had in their countries that may warrant some more reporting or not, uh, but obviously he had a pool there for portions. There were additional staff there, additional personnel, and uh, that's uh, the sort of model that we uh, try to keep ourselves to here. Oh uh, yeah, so uh, because he might, we don't know exactly. Well, because it makes no sense. It makes no sense. But then none of this makes sense. Tucker Carlson had a great commentary on this last night, and I've actually lifted out some clips that he presented. So I'm going to give him credit for that. I give his staff credit for that. But I want to uh, – President Biden made uh, all these declarations uh, about uh, mask wearing. There's a new, you know, new restrictions, new rules, new things they're going to let you do. And so um, clip nine is just a little portion of what he had to say. Let's listen. I want to be absolutely clear. If you're in a crowd like a stadium or at a conference or a concert – 
you still need to wear a mask, even if you're outside. Okay, so if you're in a stadium or a concert, even if you're outside, you need to wear a mask. But the CDC guidelines just uh, given says that you can be outside with people that are vaccinated, but not with people that aren't vaccinated. And you can do like, uh, I don't know, yard picnics or whatever, but you can't go to concerts. So uh, Biden then is asked about this further. This is clip eight. If the risk is so low outdoors, why doesn't this new guidance apply to everybody? Because the science indicates that the most certain way to make sure it doesn't spread if both people have been vaccinated, the people you're with, and you're outside. And you chose to wear a mask, sir. You chose to wear a mask. You chose to wear a mask as you walked out here. What message were you sending by wearing a mask outside alone? By watching me take it off and not put it back on to like it inside. So... Wait. Okay, you're scratching your head like I'm scratching my head. So you, you can wear a va- you can not wear a mask if you're with vaccinated people in your yard having a cookout or some get together. Uh, but if an unvaccinated person comes, then you have to put them on, even though you're vaccinated. Uh, and if you're walking out to deliver a speech or a press conference outside outdoors, you must, if you're president, you must wear the mask in order to demonstrate proper mask wearing that you will, I don't know. I I take it off once you get indoors. Is that the new CDC rule? I don't think so. So then it gets even more confusing because uh, the CDC director had his own uh, way of explaining it, and this is what he said. Clip 11. And right now it's very hard to uh, to tease apart who is vaccinated, where they are in the vaccination. So it's not just to protect themselves, but largely to protect others and really to protect the unvaccinated. Okay, so if you're vaccinated, why aren't you, they're telling us this keeps you from having COVID. It also tells us that you're not contagious because you're vaccinated. So, but you still have to wear a mask if you're around people that are unvaccinated. Wouldn't you think the unvaccinated people would be the ones taking the risk? Uh, I just, it all gets very, very confusing and it makes absolutely no sense. And of course, the left is jumping on this because they're dying to control the rest of the population. Joy Reid on MSNBC um, set this up a little bit, and I'll give you an idea of what they're thinking about not taking uh, vaccines. Let's listen. Now, the vaccine-resistant Trump crowd is becoming a problem for the rest of us. That's because the country is fast approaching a tipping point when vaccine hesitancy will become the biggest hurdle to achieving herd immunity. So after a while, so-called vaccine hesitancy might be better described as reckless endangerment. All right, so why does Joy, why does anybody care if you don't get a vaccine? Are you the one taking the risk? If you get a vaccine, why, why do you care? Just, uh, you know, if, if all things were normal, take off your mask and go wherever you want. Isn't that what that's supposed to be about? But no, now we have to make sure that every single person gets a vaccine, even if they're children, even though there's nothing to warrant that children should take a vaccine. Joe Rogan weighed in on this, and he's gotten in a lot of trouble for that. This is clip 14. Let's listen. When people say, do you think it's safe to get vaccinated? I've said, yeah, I think for the most part it's safe to get vaccinated. I do. I do. But if you're like 21 years old and you say to me, should I get vaccinated? I, I go, no. Yeah. You, are you healthy? 
Are you a healthy person? Like, look, don't do anything stupid, but you should take care of yourself. You yeah. should, if you're, if you're a healthy person and you're exercising all the time and you're young and you're eating well, and like, I don't think you need to worry about this. Yeah, so the, the stats show that something like 587 young people, I think the ages are 15 to 24, in the year 2020 uh, succumbed to COVID. But, of course, most of them had other things, other problems. So that's, uh, out of the millions and millions of people in this country, that's minuscule. Uh, so young people are not susceptible, and they do not need to be vaccinated. And um, meanwhile, here's another story that I wanted to share. Maybe you've heard this, but an Oregon runner, a high school runner, uh, she was she's forced by the state, those draconian uh, health officials in Oregon, were forcing all these kids to wear a mask while they raced. She was running the 800-meter race, and when she got almost to the finish line, she just collapsed uh, and uh, and had, I don't know what they think she had. They think maybe she had a c- concussion from falling. Uh, but the the parents and the coach are very upset about this. The coach said, I've never seen that in the way it happened with Maggie. He said, uh, with her mask on, she suffered complete oxygen debt. Uh, she fell face first, three meters shy of the finish line, and was unresponsive. And uh, Turnbull goes on, he said, this is what I'm worried about. You get a kid running the 800 with a mask on, it's actually dangerous. They don't get that the oxygen that they need. This rule needs to change. Uh, the Oregon Health Authority, of course, has been holding fast. But another incident happened, and so on Monday, they announced that they will no longer require high school athletes to wear masks during non-contact sports. So I, I don't, it's, it's all over the map. It's all over the map. And um, you just need to be aware of that and don't swallow hook, line, and sinker. Uh, what the media is saying, be suspicious when they're removing things that contra- are contrary to the CDC and the World Health Organization from the Internet so that you can't even see them. That should make you suspicious regardless of how you feel about this. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.